bread. Oh, to the Ilya thing. <laughs> Sorry, brothers. Uh, good evening, youth. Uh, it's good to be here, and it's good to uh, be in the house of the Lord, worship together. I feel like we're about to start communion. Anyone with me? It's a beautiful song that we sing typically uh, during communion, but uh, it is beautiful, and uh, it's beautiful that this works. Praise the Lord. Thank you, brothers. Um, you know, I came back from um, the prayer camp. Many of you, I believe, were there, right? <clears throat> raise your hand if you weren't there. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to raise your hand. I think a lot of you uh, went to the prayer camp. And I was looking through the Instagram stories, and uh, it's just endless. You know, like, you scroll, next, 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 next. And such a good memory, you know, such a good um, memories. But I realized that, you know, that is just a memory. Somebody who didn't make it to the camp could never understand or experience what people that were at the prayers experienced, right? For them, it's just, okay, looks like they're having a good time, right? Right? You can't be in the presence. You can't experience the same thing. And I'm not trying to say that you guys uh, bash on you that you didn't go. Uh, what I'm saying is that that's just a memory. And I was listening to Andre uh, saying that, you know, how good it would, be, would it be and the desire is to keep, uh, to keep that fire going. And... Those who like camping, what do you guys do to keep up the fire going through the night? You add more wood, right? You keep adding the wood. So you, we can't be just living on the memories how warm it was by the fire before it went out, right? Oh, we had such a good time. We have to do something about it. We have to come to the fire and we have to keep it going. We have to put in more wood and put in more wood for the fire to go on. This was true for the um, temple where people were there dedicated to keeping the fire going on the, um, on the altar. Similarly in our life, I don't know what your routine is or if you have a routine, but um, start a routine where you dedicate time throughout the day, in the morning, at lunch, in the evening, where you come to the Lord and you put fire or put wood into the fire, where you reflect on the Lord, where you read a scripture and reflect and pray. Um, that will keep the fire going. All right, so today my topic is, as you can see, this was a little uh, deter, but uh, love and purity. Love and purity. Um, and I don't know if you guys are thinking what I'm thinking. Uh, probably not. But um, I, I will try to connect this topic today. Um, by accident, I think, tomorrow is um, uh, February the 14th. Um, it's, it's definitely an accident that it happened that it's uh, tomorrow. But um, nevertheless, I got an email today with interesting um, statistics. 
um, that uh, current generation uh, people, uh, single people, are fearful as ever of rejection. And a newly published report from the dating app uh, found that 90% of the 15,000 people that they surveyed want to find love. Okay, so 90%, it's like almost 100, 90% of people are open to the idea of having um, a relationship, right? And then 56% um, of those people say that their fear of rejection has stopped them from pursuing relationship uh, they were interested in. So we have 90% of people, we're not good. We're not going to be talking about 10%, right? We don't know. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're just distracted. Maybe something else. But they're not interested in relationships. So we're talking about 90% of people. Uh, maybe they're just too young, okay? Uh, we're talking about the 90% that are open and think relationship is a good thing. But majority of those people think or are afraid of relationship because they're afraid to be rejected. You know, I remember and reflect on my uh, younger years, a little bit younger, um, not, I'm still young, but when I was a little bit younger and I was not married, um, I was thinking that, um, not highly of myself, let's just say that. I didn't see myself very attractive, I didn't see myself very um, affluent or funny and this and that, and my biggest concern, as silly as it sounds today, was that I am so boring that my wife is going to be bored with me in the marriage and, you know, why even bother? Why even bother, you know, getting married? That was my fear. That was my fear. Uh, I'm, I'm being just honest uh, before you, uh, not exaggerating. And um, that's, you know, that possibly kept me from um, getting married earlier. I don't know. But today, being in marriage for 10 years, my wife testifies that that is not true. And that's definitely not number one issue in the marriage. <laughs> I keep her um, laughing um, a lot. So I uh, talked to Natasha, my wife, and she will not let me lie about that. So we all have things that we are, you know, we see ourselves in a certain light. You know, the older I Grew, I grow the more I like myself. I was telling my wife the other day that I think I like myself more. I you know, don't care what other people think of me so much, but I actually like who I am. You know, I'm not Peter Saigon, uh, but I like who I am. You know? Don't worry if you don't know who Peter Saigon is. But I, I, I do like myself, and I'm content. Maybe that's with age, comes with age. Um, but here we are. Love and purity. Love and purity. Our camp was on the topic of purity. Our prayer camp, right? And how is love and purity connected? I think they are closely connected. Our passage for today will be uh, found in First uh, John chapter three, um, verse one through three. Um, all right, and the clicker stopped working. Okay, thank you. Uh, see what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called children, that we should be called children, and we are. 
The reason the world does not know us, um, the reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. All right, so here it, here it is. Here's that connection that the Father has given us, that the Father has loved us. And it loved us to a point that he called us his children. So going all the way down, he says that we are going to be something else when we see him. We don't know yet. But right now, we have this assurance that we are children of God. That's the closest relationships you, relationship uh, you can have in a family, right? When you're a child. And he makes the statement at the end, and everyone who has this hope, meaning seeing God, purifies himself just as God himself is pure. So to, to start off, we have to define what is love. What is love? Today we see banners and posters that claim that love is love. Oh, wow, that's great. That's a great definition. You know, love is love. It sounds so good. Um, and they're telling you cannot define love. You shouldn't be defining love because love is defined by the person who loves. Is that what the Bible teaches us? Is that the truth that the Bible reveals to us? So what is love? Think about it. What is your definition of love or what you think of this phenomenal? All right, to, to, be, to be fair, we have to look in the Bible and look at the origin, or let's look at where love is mentioned first in the Bible. What is the very first time that love is mentioned in the Bible? Any guesses? What book of the Bible? Genesis. That's a good guess, Dennis. Uh, thank you. And you are completely right. Uh, but found in a very interesting place that you would not expect it. Genesis 22, 1 and 2. The background of this text is um, Abraham is serving God and he is um, called a man of faith, right? And God is, Abraham loves God to the point that he leaves everything behind and he follows God's uh, prompt to leave his country, uh, to leave everything that he had, um, and go live in the, um, in the wilderness, basically, and follow, um, follow God's leading. So God is testing Abraham. And uh, we read this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Here's that word. Go to the land of Moriah. Moria and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Wow, the very first time Bible mentions love is in this very unromantic story where God is calling 
this person and testing his love towards him. You know, it's interesting that love that Abraham had towards his only promised son was the greatest love he experienced. And his love towards God was just as big or even bigger. He loved God sincerely. And in this test, God is asking, who do, who do you love more? What is love to you? And you know what I see in this passage is that love is a sacrifice. When you love someone, you are willing to sacrifice yourself for that person. Again, if you truly love someone, if there is a true, genuine love towards someone, you and I will sacrifice a lot for that, for the object of our love. So here's an example, a first example of love that we find in a scripture, and it is tied to a sacrifice. So what kind of love are we talking about when we talk about God's love towards us? You know, we hear about God's love, we talk about God's love, but what it is it? What is it? What does it represent in my life? How did God love? Who did God love, okay? Let's start with that. We can love a nice person. We can love a person that is um, fluffy and white and pure and good to us. He's a good friend. But let's look at the love of God and what, who did God love? We find this in this passage to Romans. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely, for rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more have been reconciled, we will be saved by his love, life. And not only that, but we will also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received this reconciliation. All right, let's go back and um, see the key verse, uh, the key words here that describe you and I. Can you repeat with me? I was helpless. I was ungodly. I was a sinner, and I was an enemy of God when Christ died for me. So we can see from this passage that I was not that perfect and that good as I thought of myself. Because the list is long and it's even longer than this of what we were before Christ. And if you haven't accepted Christ in your life and he did not become your savior, this is a description of who you are. This is not my description. <laughs> 
I don't discriminate, but the Bible is very clear that we, who we are without God, we are lost, helpless, ungodly. We're sinners, and we are more than that. We're enemies of God. We need someone to save us from ourselves. So what did we receive when we accepted Christ? Romans 5, 5 says this, This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So what we received, we received the love of God. And when we talk about the love of God, you know, uh, we shouldn't be taking that lightly. Because the passage here says that God's love has been poured out, meaning that is a complete, completed action. That has been done. This is not in the future. This is not next time when you stumble. God's love has been poured out over me. I have been covered with his love. His love is sufficient to cover all of my shortcomings and sins. God's love has been completed in the sense that there is no more sacrifice. There is no bigger sacrifice that God can do for you and for me. He did everything he could to bring you closer. And he loves you unconditionally and eternally. We're talking about eternal souls. We're not talking about something temporary. We're not talking about a year or two or ten years. We're talking about eternity. God lo God's love lasts for eternity. Our life here is short. Our experiences here are very short. But God's love has no ending. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that no one may perish, but may have a life. So accepting God's love is the biggest blessing in our life that we can receive. And having an assurance of God's love, I believe, has tremendous liberating power. If we do not believe in the love of God, I'm going to make this claim. If we do not believe in the love, unconditional love of God, our whole life will be built on efforts to earn our salvation. If I do not believe in the, life, in the love of God, my whole life I will be blaming myself and thinking, what a person are you that you have sinned again? Because you should know better than this. You should do better than this. Meaning that I'm good enough for God. I should be good enough for God. I should be able to please God with my performance. I should be able to do better than this. But the reality is that we are not able to surprise God. We are not able to impress Him. We're not able to do anything on our own. 
And anything and everything that we and you are able to do is through Christ alone. The only reason God is looking at me today and is pleased with me when he's, if he's pleased with me, and he is pleased with me, because of his son, Jesus Christ. Because before his son, Jesus Christ, I was his enemy. He couldn't be pleased with me at any point, at any time. But thanks to Jesus and his sacrifice today, I am pleasing in his sight because of the obedience of Jesus Christ. Not my obedience, not my performance, not my good deeds, but because of someone who did everything I couldn't do on the cross. He took my sins and my shortcomings so I can be pleasing to God today. So what did you and I receive? We received unconditional love of God. And I believe that having that assurance, my friends, gives us liberty to live life in purity. Gives us liberty to live life, sinless life, and pure life. To strive to live a life that is free of sin, free of attachment to this world. Because the world competes and in direct competition, John dives into that and he says, whoever has the love for the world, he cannot have the love of, father, of the Father. Because everything that is in this world is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride. It's not of the Father, but of this world. So there is love. If I have the love, love for the world, I automatically cannot have the love for the Father. And they're in competition. So I believe that the Bible is teaching us that the only way to freedom is trusting God fully. That His love is enough, is sufficient, and has paid the price fully. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this love? What do we do with this state that we're in when we receive the love of God? Some people say, oh, you're going to start singing. You're going to be just using God's love and His grace and live a sinful life and do whatever pleases you. And that's not true because Jesus says this in Mark 12, 28 to 31. He says, the most important, uh, the most important is, listen Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than this. So the question is, how can we keep Jesus' commandment? Jesus is claiming that the most two important things in our life that define our life, that define our future, our destiny, and our life here are this. To love God and love people. And to love God and to love people with a, what kind of love? Selfish love? Me first kind of love? To love them with a sacrificial love love. So to love 
to keep Jesus' commandment, to fulfill his commandment, um, is it's very simple. It's to love God and to love people. You know, it's interesting that in our life, in my life, we complicate things. We greatly complicate things and we struggle with that. In God's kingdom, in God's desire towards us, there is no complications. His desire is simple. His desire is for you to have a blessed life. And Jesus is telling us how to have a blessed life. He says, the world offers you abundance of pleasure today. Abundance of distractions. Abundance of things that are flashy, that are glittering, and grab our attention. But at the end, as the proverb says, don't look at the wine as it sparkles. Because at the end, not at the beginning when you're tasting it, not in the middle, but at the end, it will bite you as a serpent. Sin has a tendency to bite later. We taste sin, the bitterness of sin, comes later. First comes the pleasure, things that are pleasing, and then comes the consequences. So Jesus is trying to spare us, and he shows us a better way, a better path. He says, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love another person next to you, your brother and sister, with a sacrificial love. Do not have lust toward them. Do not allow your heart to fantasize and use somebody as an object of your imagination, but love them with a sacrificial love. And when you love somebody with a true love, you want the best for their person. You don't want to use them for your pleasures and for your gain, but you want the best for the other person. And we can practically do that and practice this in our life. And so what is the conclusion of this? John makes a very powerful statement. He says this, And this love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. And if you remember the statistics that I brought up in the beginning that people fear to be in the relationship for one reason. Why? Because of rejection. And this fear is translated in our relationship with God. We're afraid if we mess up, if we mess up, if we are not good enough, then God 
will reject us. Because that's what we do. <laughs> we reject others when they mess up, when they do not measure up to my standard or my expectations. And so that's how I see, unfortunately, God sometimes. Someone who's going to keep me accountable for every thought and everything that I have done. But John says this, that we can have, John states this, this is a powerful statement in the liberating passage in the scriptures, that we can have, love is made complete, it, it transforms us, it, it, it builds inside of me to a point that I may have confidence. Can you say confidence? Confidence when? In the day of judgment. Confidence in the most crucial time of our existence on this planet is when every deed, every thought will be brought and scrutinized and looked at and analyzed. And John is making this bold statement that we can have confidence, not just hope to be in the presence of God. I just hope to be at the Entrance, you know, as somebody says, there is no more space at the entrance. Get in to the kingdom of God. We can have confidence to walk through the gates with confidence. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that liberating? That I don't have to live in fear that God is going to reject me. But I can have confidence that he is a good father. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. Fear is from the enemy. It is the enemy who punishes people and came to steal, kill, and destroy. And we love, let's remember that, not because we are so good, but because he first loved us. Amen. So in conclusion, love God and love people. God is on your side. Amen. Let's stand up and pray. Father, thank you. We worship you and we thank you for your